welcome to the Kelly Mental Health Podcast, Season 2, Episode 15. You're about to walk down the aisle. Everyone's waiting for you with so much excitement, and you're supposed to be feeling like this is the best day of your entire life, and you feel nothing. Your grandpa passes away, and instead of feeling devastated and crying, you can't. The feelings aren't really there. Or maybe you feel like laughing and making jokes and know it's probably not appropriate. Someone asks you if you're head over heels with the person you're dating, and a big part of you questions if you have actually ever felt that way. And then you feel guilty and start to wonder if there's something wrong with you or wrong with the relationship. Today's episode is about the expectations to feel a certain way when we encounter major life events, from weddings to relationships, to losses, we don't all feel the same. And sometimes those expectations make us overly critical of ourselves. And that's not really fair. Join me and Kelly Graham today as we discuss how we can be impacted more by what we're supposed to feel rather than what we do feel. Hello. Hey, Kelly. How are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. <laughs> I'm missing Cassandra. She's she's not with us this week, but she'll be back next week, hopefully. Yeah, it's it's weird to just have the two of us. <laughs> I know, I know. Who's going to keep us on track and ask us the questions? I mean, we're just we're we're gonna you know do the the, the nerd thing that we do. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah. So, welcoming Kelly Graham and Linda Kelly, myself, and of course, like I said, Cassandra is away this week. Uh, today, we were going to start off by talking about expectations in terms of how you're supposed to feel when you encounter specific situations where people have, or maybe society has sort of pumped you up to feel a certain way. And then you find yourself kind of confused when you really don't feel that way. So Kelly, I was wondering if you can start us off with one of uh, with what your story was in terms of these expecting to feel something and you didn't feel that way. Yeah. So the big thing was uh, my wedding day. So I actually recently just got married this past October. And, you know, the wedding is supposed to be one of the happiest days of your life. And it was, like, absolutely, don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, but, you know, leading up to it, it's, oh, my God, this is going to be the happiest day, happiest day. And, you know, so, like, I woke up just normal. I had, like, a little bit of nerves. But it's hard for me, because I have anxiety, to differentiate between excited and anxious because they feel very similar and if you start to feel excited you're like this kind of seems like anxiety then it generates some anxiety <laughs> so I had a little mm-hmm. bit of that going on in the morning but it didn't last too long but you know I'm getting ready with the girls and they're like oh my god are you excited are you are you nervous and I'm just like meh like I was just calm and cool and you know, even heading to the ceremony, everybody, oh my God, are you nervous? Everybody around me was nervous. I didn't feel an ounce of anxiousness or nervousness at all. And I'm like, okay, am I supposed to feel nervous? Like, is it a bad sign that I'm not nervous? Because you usually hear about that, or, you know, getting cold feet. And so then you, your mind kind of starts thinking, okay, do I not love him enough? Is that why I'm not getting nervous? (laughs) Is something wrong? And, you know, luckily I was was able to kind of push those thoughts out of my head. And 
you know, even as the day went on, like I was happy throughout the day, but I would have moments where I was just exhausted. And me and my husband were actually very happy that they implemented the new guideline for COVID that you had to stop serving alcohol at 11 and everything had to be cleared up by 12 because we're usually in bed by nine. We're really early. <laughs> so when nine o'clock rolled around, me and him were just exhausted. And I remember like counting down the hours, like, okay, only like two more hours, three more hours. And then I felt guilty because I'm like, this is supposed to be the happiest day of my life. Aren't I supposed to be happy every single second of this day and never want it to end? And yeah, like once again, don't get me wrong, I was happy, but then I'm wondering how much happiness should I be feeling? Am I supposed to be happier than this? Is it a bad sign if I'm not happier than this? Is it a bad sign I want to go to bed? <laughs> like I said, the thoughts kind of came and went. Luckily, I was able to push them out and enjoy the day, but then it really made me start to question, you know, like these expectations that society or family or even friends might put on you to feel a certain way about events that are happening in your life. Mm -hmm. I, I suspect with weddings, it's a lot more about potentially the wedding industry and just sort of the dream that they sell you that you are like, this is the most important day of your life, the happiest day of your life, therefore splurge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but because I, I mean, I, it wasn't in the too distant past that, you know, my grandmother, I believe, or sorry, my great grandmother was 14 getting married. I can't imagine she was all that happy about it, but Probably maybe, not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> my mom was quite young too. My mom was 17 when she married my dad, but and probably the happiest part for her was being able to move out of her parents' house yeah. <laughs> at 17, right? But still, you know, for some people, yes, it is the happiest day. But I also think that maybe people look back, you know, with sort of rose-colored glasses and go, oh, yes, it was so wonderful. But in the moment, maybe it's different. What do you, what do you think about that? That I absolutely agree. You know, looking back, I'm remembering, and it wasn't even that long ago, it was like a month ago. I remember <laughs> the good things. I don't remember stressing out because my hair piece kept falling out or my feet hurting. You know, it's mainly the good things that you remember, and that's what sticks out to you. You're not going to remember the minor mm -hmm. annoyances. Right. And, and when you're in the moment, there's so many things that could potentially go wrong. So you're a little bit caught up in that. And then afterwards, maybe it's just, I mean, depending on, maybe how the relationship goes too. you might look back and go, Oh, you know, everything was so nice. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I hear I hear you on that. I, I have a little bit of a different perspective. Um, not because well, so you you talk very openly about your anxiety. And I also struggle with anxiety, but almost to for, for almost like a different reason. Like, I think it goes back to maybe being in elementary school and getting bullied and getting teased. And so I have a real defensiveness over showing any emotions that make me feel vulnerable, where someone could be playing a trick on me, someone could be laughing at me, you know, I even on my wedding day, or my, you know, graduation day, or any kind of special event, even a birthday, people ask me, are you excited? Mm -hmm. And I immediately get this feeling like, why? Why do you want to know? Yeah. <laughs> like, what's your game? So I do find uh, for myself, it takes special people for me to be around to be comfortable enough to actually allow myself to be excited. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's just a, a defense mechanism. 
Absolutely. And, you know, leading up to the wedding for me, I was afraid to get excited because every time I got excited, something would change in regards to the COVID rules and I'd have to change my whole wedding. <laughs> so <laughs> part of that, oh my God, if I get excited, something bad is going to happen. So I wasn't able to really build up the anticipation for my wedding because I was just holding my breath, hoping nothing else was going to change. Mm-hmm. That's very true. You know, and, and just kind of moving on to different scenarios. One thing I do hear come up an, a lot is, uh, well, you mentioned the guilt, right? There's, uh, you, you expect to feel a certain way. And then if you don't feel a certain way, you feel kind of guilty for that. And then you're asking yourself if, you know, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with the relationship? And then I noticed, even as you explain this story, you must have said about five times, I was happy, just so you know, yeah. <laughs> as if, it was, you know, bad on you if you weren't happy. So then I hear a lot about this kind of thing happening to people that are grieving. Mm, yes. Yeah. So, you know, I get people that will say, you know, I didn't cry and I didn't feel like crying. And so is there something wrong with me? Am I a rotten person? Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm just curious, you know, what are your thoughts about that? And have you heard that come up in, in therapy? Oh, absolutely. I mean, We've all heard that, you know, everybody grieves differently, but it's harder when you're actually experiencing that yourself, you know, when you're not having the waterworks going, you're maybe not crying and you're wondering what's going on. Like, I feel sad. Why am I not showing that I'm sad? And then kind of feeling guilty for that. I mean, I even went through a point, I used to work at uh, the shelter house and a lot of our clients were high risk. And unfortunately, we did lose a lot of clients when I was there, even some coworkers we ended up losing. And for me, the deaths just piled up and it kind of made you feel numb. It's not that you didn't care. It's not that you weren't sad that they were gone, but there was just so much death that it would, you just kind of became numb, like you couldn't cry anymore. And I find that that has mm -hmm. happened a lot with clients I see now is, you know, they've lost so many people and either they haven't processed that death or those deaths have happened in a short amount of time that it's hard for them to cope with all of it. So they just kind of become numb to the feeling of grief and that makes them hard to cry and that makes it hard to process. And other people, you know, sometimes it might just take until after everything's settled down when, you know, you're not having to plan the service, not having to make sure everybody else is okay. And then, then you may break down or it may take years or months. There's no kind of time limit on it. But a lot of people think if you're not crying right now, what's wrong with you? When really nothing's wrong with yeah. you. It's just kind of how your emotions are working in the time. Mm -hmm. And and that's a, a really big point to emphasize that feeling whatever way you feel, whether it's, you know, emotionally distraught or even numb there's nothing wrong with that. And there should be no guilt about that. You feel how you feel. Feelings are not wrong. Absolutely. Uh, for, you know, a, a lot of people know that I, I work um, primarily with a lot of uh, First Nation individuals, particularly ones with ties to the residential school system, whether through family or they themselves that went. And I swear it, it is just, you know, you, you get people coming in, they've, you haven't seen them in about a month. And even just this week, you know, rattling off, okay, so this, uh, my, my niece committed suicide, 
My uncle was murdered. Um, there was a stillbirth in our family. There was an eight month old that passed. They're not sure what's going on. They're investigating. They're trying to figure out what happened. Another murder. Oh yeah. This other one's unsolved. Oh, and that our elders are passing. And then there's, you know, it's just on one on top of the next, on top of the next. And I mean, realistically, if like we lost someone in our family this, this year, we lost our aunt. We were able to come together as a family. We were able to find and dig up pictures of her and, and, you know, create some, some things. We were able to sort of celebrate her life. We think about her every day. And so we are, we have the luxury of processing this death. And even now, like I didn't cry the entire time I was there, but two weeks ago, I started crying out of the blue and that's just how I processed it. But for my clients that go through this, I'm sorry, you, you don't have time to, to process this. You've got to pack it away because that's how you survive. Yeah. And especially when, you know, more traumatic deaths are happening, like suicides or murders, a lot of the time you're in shock for a good period of time. So it's hard for your emotions to fully comprehend like, hey, that person's gone. Because you're still trying to figure out what happened. Mm-hmm. That, and that's that's a really good point. The shock factor. Uh, a lot of us, when we hear about a death or, or a car accident or, or just like a, something that's big that actually affects us, a lot of times our instinct is to go into uh, fix-it mode. Yeah. You know, whatever you can do. Okay, what do you need? What can I do? How can I help? Uh, to try to sort of undo what's been done. And it's when there's nothing that can be done that a lot of times that's when the sadness kind of sets in. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it, that's but hard particularly hard about working with grief. It's, yeah. You can't fix it. You know, there's nothing you can do to bring that person back. And that's the hard part is you have to process it. Yeah. And have you noticed as well, I noticed this sometimes, not so much with my clients, but at least with myself and probably more people in my inner circle, uh, using a lot of humor around loss. Oh, absolutely. I'm a good one for that too. <laughs> I don't know if it's good. I think it's good. Um, we use humor to cover actual real emotions. Yes. That's fine. <laughs> it's actually a mature coping defense mechanism, so... <laughs> Oh, there you go. Um, but absolutely. I mean, it's a lot easier to make light of the situation and cover it up than go deep into your feelings and how you're truly feeling. And, you know, when you do use humor, you're making other people happy. You're making other people laugh and smile for a minute, even though there's this huge grief hanging over all of your heads. So not only does it help you kind of alleviate your feelings, it can help other people, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because of course, when we know that when we are feeling particularly down or bereft or lost, uh, helping other people can really give us an anchor, gives us something to hang on to. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what's one of the biggest times you need people is when you've been through so much loss, you've been through so much grief. And a lot of the times people find it hard to be there for people who have gone through this because they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do when really all you need is just that person to sit there and just be there with you. Mm-hmm. One, one thing I noticed that uh, does get brought up a lot in terms of grief is uh, sort of the just anger towards others 
that sort of almost they act like they were best buds with the person that passed away. Yeah. And so there's, you know, the people that sort of were closer to them or maybe knew them better will be so angry. It's like, why are you like, do you actually feel this grief or are you just trying to sort of use this for attention? Uh, I remember the the very one of the very first losses of my peers that I recall, uh, I was I was still in high school at the time and he had graduated, I think, the year before. And I saw his obit in the paper and it just shocked me. And then, of course, Everybody I knew was talking about it. Oh, he was such a nice guy. He was this, he was that. And I'm thinking to myself, you guys hated him. Mm. What do you mean he was such a nice guy? Like, and he was kind of a jerk sometimes too. And <laughs> like, what, what is this? Like, is this, is this people sometimes sort of wanting to take part in some, are they actually feeling this grief or like, what is this? I think a lot of the times people do feel that grief, you know, especially people who don't have a lot of grief in their life when they find out, Hey, this person that I used to know, or this distant acquaintance died, it kind of shocks you. Cause then you start thinking about, Oh my God, I actually knew this person and they're gone. What about my mortality? If somebody can die that quickly, what about others in my life? What about me? So it stirs up those feelings. And even if they didn't really know them that well, it brings up all those questions and fears about mortality and makes them have those kind of grief feelings. Right. So sometimes, like what I mentioned with the sense of almost being a gatekeeper to grief, that's that's not really a helpful way to be, is no, it? No, absolutely not. And I mean, everybody's going to feel some kind of grief, especially I found when you have somebody who committed suicide or died by suicide mm. is a lot of people come out of the woodwork and start talking about that person and how that person impacted them. And, you know, even two years ago, I lost a friend to suicide and, you know, I used to work with him and I used to act in plays with him and he was a great guy, but we didn't really stay that close in contact. So when I read about his death, I remember feeling all this grief. I remember feeling that shock. And then I felt guilty because then I thought I wasn't that close to him. And do I have a right to feel this grief? And then, of course, with suicide comes mm -hmm. all the what if I had reached out? What if we were closer? What if? What if? But a lot of people can feel that too is kind of the guilt of, I know I wasn't close to them, but I'm feeling this way. Is it okay for me to express that? And absolutely. Yes, it is. Because you touch a bunch of people throughout your life, good or bad, whether you know it or not. And when you die, you're going to probably affect more people than you know, either in a good or a bad way. So it's not necessarily our place to say who can grieve and who can't grieve and who can grieve more, but just noticing that it's part of the human experience that when we know somebody who died, when we had that even a tiny connection to them, it is going to stir up feelings of grief. It is going to stir up questioning our own mortality and those feelings of sadness. Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate that viewpoint too, because when you're when you're too close to a loss, sometimes it's easy to have those automatic reactions to the people around you. Because part of it too is, if you're close to a loss, you're struggling, you're yeah. suffering. 
whether or not that's overt, whether or not you're crying or, you know, numb and shut down, you're, you're going through a major life change. And so it's, it's easier to sort of be tough on other people, maybe unfairly. Absolutely. I mean, it's just exerting all that energy and all that anger outwards. You know, it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. you want to do. It's not necessarily something that's helpful to do, but sometimes it happens because you have so much stuff going on inside of you that, you know, your tolerance level is very low. And sometimes you just need an outlet to kind of throw it, throw some emotions that way. Yeah, that's, it's very helpful to to think about it that way. It's just this sort of buildup of pressure and it's a way of releasing. And if we really want to be productive and, and helpful to ourselves, our friends, our community, uh, being kind and just kind of being gracious about allowing people to feel what they got to feel. That's going to go a long way. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, one thing that my friend's um, partner did, um, she was actually really great. She wanted to hear from everybody. She's like, tell me, you know, fun memories you had with him. Tell me the good memories you had with him because then she was able to see how he impacted everybody's life and everybody's different viewpoints and kind of keep that goodness that was in him alive. Yeah. Yeah, And that can be certainly a a source of healing. Um, You know, it's interesting sometimes then to think about the, the big differences between what people expect to feel around death versus what they do feel. And, and then the way that they sort of internalize the wrongness of what they're feeling like I've got you know on one hand I've got people that uh, culturally you you don't express your emotions or you do it in private you don't show it to the kids you don't want to scare anybody so you know if you are feeling like you want to burst into tears you feel weak you feel wrong and then you feel guilty and then on the other hand there's ones that are like okay this is an opportunity to cry and to feel sad and to go do something symbolic to honor this person. And I don't feel like doing mm. any of that. And then cue oh, the guilt. Absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, I fall into the hide your emotions camp because, you know, I was always wanting to be the strong one. Grew up, you know, people, oh, you're so strong, which is good. I want to be strong. But then it also kind of enforced the belief that I have to be strong. And, you know, being bullied as well when I was growing up, you didn't want to show those emotions. So especially, you know, if you're crying, you don't want people to comfort you. You don't want people to see you because they'll think that you're weak or they'll try and comfort you and help you and take pity on you when really they just want to be there to help. But you kind of view it as, oh, my God, I'm weak. I have to hide these emotions. Yeah, you guys are going to use this against me somehow. (laughs) I'm learning so much about you, Kelly. <laughs> and I, mean, I think I've yeah. been pretty good at overcoming that a little bit. You know, if you just meet me, I probably I'm not going to cry in front of you. But people who I do feel comfortable with and who I do feel close with, I'm able to kind of open up and accept their comfort and kind of accept having them there, which I find helps a lot instead of just crying into your pillow in bed. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting that the differences that where where you can express depending on who you're with. Uh, we were cleaning out our crawl space yesterday. And uh, I found my son's baby book. And inside his baby book was his first little sleeper. 
and I held it up and I just burst into tears out of nowhere like holy hormones (laughs) I couldn't it was so unexpected but it was just me and my husband there and so and he he just kind of knew to you know put his hand on my back and say it's okay and I said I don't know why I'm crying (laughs) but um but my comfort with him was is so different like I'm a person that went to see Titanic in the theater four times and I, I shed a tear once I, w- <laughs> <laughs> I waited till I got home. But, but I mean, but that's, that's the thing. The people that you're around make such a big difference on uh, your ability, I think, to just own your emotions. Absolutely. And especially when you have good experiences with how they react, you know, I know if I cry in front of my husband, he's just going to hug me. Until, until everything is okay you know he knows not to try and talk everything out or go what about this and this he just hugs me and is just kind of the strong silent type and then you know same mm-hmm. with my beagle he just sits there and cuddles me and licks me <laughs> <laughs> they're your people <laughs> i know how they're gonna react i, I was you know <laughs> So again, I, I won't go too far into this because I know we're, um, I mean, the, the baby thing I can, I'd like to just share that, you know, I was so envious of other women having their children because it seemed like they were just absolutely nuts about becoming mothers. They loved everything their babies did. Everything was just tops. When I had my son, I had zero connection to him. And I was really disappointed with myself. I felt so guilty. I felt like, am I cold? Am I cut off? What is wrong with me? He was close to, I, th- I think he was a couple months old. And then I, I was downstairs one day and I heard this bang in the crib and I thought, oh my God, what did he, did he fall out or something? I ran upstairs and that's the first time since his birth where I felt any kind of sort of maternal connection to him. And I think a lot of parents go through this, these expectations that this is just going to make your whole life and the realities of sometimes it doesn't work that way. Or even just feeling guilty that they're (laughs) making you mad and making you annoyed. And it's, no, you're supposed to love your kids and do everything (laughs) right and cherish every moment when sometimes you're like, I just want a nap. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you just, you know, you want to be able to still retain some of your own identity and you can become resentful because of that. Um, that's not to say that that it's a, a bad idea to have children, but both a child or childless and um, with children kind of lifestyle, they each come with their blacks and whites and difficulties and joys. And it really just depends on what is right for you. But ultimately, again, getting back to kind of the main point of this conversation is I want to acknowledge that we're, for some reason, often led to expect to feel a certain way. And that's not always the reality. And the last kind of topic I just want to touch on is relationships. (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell you how many times if you could look at my Google searches over the past like 10 years, it's very embarrassing, but most, uh, there were so many searches of, are you? Oh sure yeah, I did that. After <laughs> <laughs> we got engaged, I'm like, but wait. <laughs> yeah. 
like they is I mean I don't know if it's media or if it's like the books that I used to read or whatnot but or people people tell you you know that you're going to find this person that's going to make you absolutely insane and just be head over heels in love and just you know just like you can't function without them and then a lot of us that's not how it goes because that's not who we are impossible to have that absolute head over heels I'm in love 100% every single day every single minute especially when you're supposed to be spending the rest of your lives together (laughs) it's just Mm -hmm. it's not realistic and it's not gonna happen and I mean you might not even necessarily want that you know it's nice to have just that comfort where you don't have to try and live up to their expectation of being this wonderful woman so they're constantly head over heels in love with you or you can just lay on the couch naked in front of each other and watch TV and be happy with that. <laughs> just to have that sense of comfort. Hey, hey. And I'm always loving <laughs> Okay, let's just get this straight. <laughs> because when I'm in a mood, I'll tell you I'm in a mood and I'm laughing about the fact that I wanted to just like stab you, but <laughs> I'll tell you about it. But yeah, but it's true. I, I think... Uh, at least for me and for actually a few of the clients I've worked with that had really come to mind recently. It was the moment you drop your damn expectations that things got so much better. You know, I just did couples training and in there they talked about not having the perfect relationship, just having a good enough relationship because really your relationship isn't going to be perfect all Mm -hmm. the time. There's no way that that is even possible. You're going to have some kind of hiccups along the way You're going to be annoyed if he leaves the toilet seat up at 3 a.m. And it's normal to have those feelings. Yeah, I always go back to that story about the the guy that um, his wife always left the hallway light on. And he drove him nuts. And he kept saying, he kept doing all the tactics. He's like, honey, I need you to turn it off. Honey, I need you to be more mindful. Can you please do this for me? Because it bothers me. it, It annoys me. It irritates me. She kept leaving it on. So if you... If you want to make a mountain out of a molehill, you want it, this is the hill you're going to die on, the kind of thing. Yeah, you can start thinking to yourself, she doesn't respect me. She doesn't care about my feelings. She is just deliberately doing this. She's being malicious. Or you could say, you know what? 90% of the things that she does works just fine for me. If this is the only thing that bothers me, then I can live with that. And that's the thing. It's throughout our relationships, there's going to be those perpetual issues that never get solved, that always come up. And it's finding a relationship where you can stand that perpetual issue, where that perpetual issue isn't a deal breaker. Oh, are you going to tell us your perpetual issue today? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole other podcast. (laughs) Oh, fine. Okay, fine. All right. So, uh, final thoughts, Kelly, would you say that you've got a final thought about this topic? Don't let expectations question how you feel about something because rarely anybody is going to live up to those expectations. There's so many humans in this world and emotions are so complex. So for everybody to feel the exact same way during certain events is impossible. Just go with what you're feeling and trust your feelings. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Kelly. Always uh, fun talking about these things with you, nerding it up with you about uh, mental health stuff. 
And uh, next time we're on, I think we're going to be talking about pets. So that will be an interesting conversation. Hopefully we'll make it uh, pretty happy because I'm sitting with a couple of pets right now. So, (laughs) all right. Talk to you soon. Thanks.